Hello, my name is Mike Diedrich. I'm a Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 uh, Vice President, and this is the VFP 92 radio show. It's being broadcast on KODX 96.9 and also on VFP92.org. It's not broadcast on there, but it's archived there, and uh, as it's archived on the radio station. So with me today is uh, Christoph Giebel, professor of history at the University of Washington. And he's gonna talk about his recent uh, explorations in Vietnam. And then after that, I'll, I'll talk about a recent visit I had to Vietnam and then we'll sort of go from there. So Christoph, go ahead. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks Mike for having me. Sure. Um, we go back quite a long time, I guess. I spent uh, about 15 years. Uh, Probably at least yeah. um, uh, when uh, you were sometimes a, a guest speaker in my Vietnam Wars class. Um, and uh, we have common interest uh, through Veterans for Peace. And uh, we had exhibits together on the UW campus. And um, we have a common interest in peace trees. And I think that's uh, uh, one of the segues, I guess, uh, into uh, what I've been doing recently. Um, three weeks ago, I came back from a um, brief but jam-packed trip to Vietnam for two weeks, and I served as a, um, a group leader for um, what uh, the NGO Peace Trees Vietnam calls citizen diplomacy trips. And so uh, Peace Trees Vietnam is an organization that is headquartered in Seattle uh, and has been in existence for um, since 1995. And it's particularly um, focused on, um, um, on the um, lingering problems of UXO contamination, particularly in central Vietnam. And uh, I've had, um, you know, quite a long relationship with Peace Trees Vietnam um, since I arrived in uh, Seattle and was hired at UW in 1998. Um, they reached out to me, uh, the founder, Geraldine Prosso, reached out to me, and um, we realized that we had um, a shared interest in, um, in working in Vietnam, and that what I do, academics on Vietnam and working with students and what Peace Trees does, um, uh, humanitarian work in central Vietnam, was something that we could combine. Right? And so I've been um, taking student groups uh, from um, UW to uh, Vietnam to associate with Peace Trees Vietnam since uh, 2007. And in fact, I'm right now um, organizing my 10th UW study abroad program in association with Peace Trees. But the recent trip was um, a um, shorter trip uh, that um, uh, Peace Trees refers to as citizen diplomacy tours. And citizen diplomacy is one of the uh, legs that Peace Trees stands on because it's of course, its main focus is um, UXO um, uh, remediation in central Vietnam, so mine uh, mine action. Um, but uh, another uh, leg that they stand on is 
uh, that they want this work to be also a conduit for reconciliation uh, between uh, the United States and Vietnam and to expose um, people of both sides to each other, uh, to realize that there is uh, shared um, uh, uh, grief, uh, shared losses, but also a shared future. And so uh, Peace Trees is organizing, beside all the activities having to do with UXO clearance, they're also organizing several citizen diplomacy tours a year. And in the last few years, I've started uh, becoming one of the um, uh, leaders of one of those groups per year, in addition to my UW study abroad uh, groups as well. Um, and that's a... Um, a very different, but also very rewarding experience. Um, when I take my students, you know, these are very young people. They have oftentimes very little connection to Vietnam. Uh, they are young and enthusiastic and kind of, uh, you know, unaffected by the, um, uh, you know, conflicts and um, drama of those who lived through the uh, Vietnam Wars years. Uh, and so that's, that, uh, you know, gives you a kind of a very fresh perspective on how students experience Vietnam in, in uh, modern times. But traveling with uh, Peace Trees delegations um, is a quite different an experience because uh, those um, uh, tour participants tend to become, tend to be um, of an older generation and oftentimes having experienced um, the war years themselves. And um, so they, they bring to this trip to Vietnam a very different perspective um, that I think you, Mike, can probably appreciate, right? I mean, since you have been, you were a veteran in, in, in Vietnam during uh, pretty gruesome times. And uh, sure enough, in this, in this uh, tour that I led in, uh, in March, uh, we, we did have a veteran uh, who also was in the uh, Tate Offensive 1968 and then served another tour later on. And we had a, a Gold Star family uh, with us, um, a lady from uh, Massachusetts who had lost a brother um, in uh, 1967, and then her daughter and her um, cousin uh, came along as well. And we also had a, um, a child of uh, Vietnamese refugees, uh, who came along uh, on this trip. So um, these were a very important and very diverse uh, perspectives um, that you don't oftentimes have in uh, student uh, uh, trips to, to Vietnam. Um, the age range is, is, is greater and many, of course, skew towards retirement and towards having very vivid memories of um, the war years and what Vietnam and the war there meant in their lives. Um, it was very disruptive. They oftentimes had, you know, uh, family divisions. They were privy to the social divisions that came with the war years. Um, and, um, you know, some of them, of course, uh, like you, Mike, were uh, veterans in, in, in Vietnam who are returning now to see a very different Vietnam and um, uh, contribute to the betterment of that country and at the same time also find closure and healing, right? So um, uh, 
I've become very kind of enamored with these uh, citizen diplomacy uh, trips because of that wide range of experience and backgrounds that that combine in these tours. Um, so that, that makes for, for um, you know, I don't want to say fun two weeks, but for an intense two weeks uh, in um, uh, where, you know, the individuals together form a very interesting group. Um, so what we did in these two weeks was kind of a whirlwind tour of um, first focusing just a few days on the north to acclimate. We wanted to overcome jet lag, um, but also visit a few uh, historical sites in the north uh, related to very you know early early and pre-modern Vietnamese uh, culture, which uh, is of course focused more on the Red River Delta and uh, Northern Vietnam, um, but then spent um, uh, the, the rest of the two weeks in uh, exclusively in, in central Vietnam. Um, so it was a, a combination of historical site visits, um, but um, we then mainly focused on understanding the variety of things that Peastreese is doing uh, we uh, visited a, um, a landmine uh, clearance team, so the kind of professionals uh, that uh, Peace Trees is is um, uh, is using to um, uh, detect and then safely remove um, UXO, um, and they have um, expanded tremendously over the last few years. I think they are. Um, now the UXO teams themselves, um, many of them um, trained to the highest international standards, uh, number something like 150 and, and more. So uh, th this is a large undertaking now. And the people in Guangxi and Guangbing provinces, which were the most heavily contaminated in the war, have now over time, of course, learned um, to uh, a call, uh, a UXO crisis centers that are established in these provinces uh, when they happen upon um, a UXO, right? From uh, cluster munitions to larger bombs that uh, are remnants from from the war years. Um, so we we saw the, uh, a team in, in the field, um, in fact, um, with a demonstration of what they're doing. Um, clearing a, um, a large uh, a swath of land to make it um, to bring it uh, to to a state of decontamination where it can be sustainably then used for agricultural activity or for plantation work and things like that. Um, but we also visited some uh, historical sites from the war years. Um, so the old DMZ, of course, there are memorials there. Um, there is a large cemetery, uh, similar to Arlington, I guess, uh, where many of the Vietnamese Revolutionary War deads have been brought uh, down from the uh, Tung Son Mountains. Uh, so that is in Guangxi province, a very huge um, and very sombering, um, a sobering um, um, area of, of um, uh, cemeteries and, and monuments and memorials um, ordered by province from which these soldiers uh, came. Um, 
And we saw a Kuangchi uh, citadel, which in 1972 became a very gruesome battlefield um, over several months, a meat grinder really in the heart of Guangxi City. Um, uh, and uh, as a first, I guess, for um, Peace Trees Citizen Diplomacy Tours, we also uh, organized a visit to the um, My Lai Massacre Memorial in uh, Guangai province um, uh, at the end of our two weeks when we were in Hoi An, and it was about a two-hour bus ride away. Uh, so we thought it was uh, perhaps a um, <clears throat> a good idea to, to uh, visit that side. Um, and if you want, I can talk about it a little bit more. Um, but overall, it's a, it's a mixture of uh, exposure to um, the heart of what Peace Trees is doing, UXO work, introducing us to their community partners, mainly the women's union that works like a conduit between communities affected by UXO and Peace Trees, um, and uh, visiting some sites uh, that Peace Trees is um, uh, still supporting, um, uh, for example, a kindergarten that was that has been built on safely um, uh, decontaminated uh, uh, areas uh, deep in Guangbing province, um, and uh, then also uh, sprinkled in some uh, historical site visits, but also some uh, tourism to expose the travelers to the beauty and the uh, modernity of contemporary Vietnam. Well, before I uh, start on my own little tour, I think it would be best to ask you some follow-up questions. You mentioned yeah. reconciliation. Is that sort of reconciliation between some of the, uh, say, Kong Hua, the uh, Arvin, Arvin soldiers and, uh, and the uh, government? The current government or and or soldiers is there any sort of a movement towards that i know the cemeteries are being repaired uh, i've heard well i mean um so you you're speaking about reconciliation in a larger sense uh, not not in the narrow sense of what peace trees is doing um, i know more societal thing and if it's specifically right. for you know of uh, of the soldiers who fought for the government. Yeah, I think that's still a very unresolved issue yeah. in Vietnam today. Um, I think there are efforts among some sectors of government and social organizations to reach out to uh, the former enemies among Vietnamese, uh, those in the diaspora. And I can see that in some of the war memorials and war uh, museums that uh, what used to be kind of a standard denigration of Arvin and the Republic as simply puppets um, is in some cases, at least, is now being removed. And at least the, the neutral term of um, uh, Vietnam Gong Hoa, uh, VNCH, is oftentimes used. So they are at least named by their proper name. Um, but on the other hand, I think there are also uh, counterbalancing forces in the Communist Party that um, that are not very comfortable with this uh, kind of outreach, and they um, uh, they uh, are uh, still quite opposed to 
to a kind of reconciliation um, among uh, across uh, civil war lines. Uh, yeah. These. Um, uh, I don't really see, you know, huge amounts of movement. Um, I know that uh, the care for some of the uh, war cemeteries on Arvin's side, that at least uh, there is some movement there that uh, allows at least local initiatives uh, to, again, uh, take better care of the Arvin cemeteries that had fallen in disrepair yeah. for a long time. Um, so that's that's encouraging. But I think, you know, overall, it's rather baby steps and maybe three steps forward and two, yeah. and two steps back. So uh, of your students, uh, particularly for the college students uh, mm. in your group, what sort of reactions did they have to your trip generally and say specifically to Milai? So so Milai was, um, uh, I visited for the first time with this uh, Peace Trees group, so not with my student group. I, I planned to take them in September uh, for the first time. I had never uh, taken students there. But now that I've been there with the Peace Trees group, I think it's it's worthwhile uh, taking students uh, there as well. Um, I was pondering this for a while, but then my fellow travelers in March, uh, they actually encouraged me. And they said, you know, uh, don't overthink this. Uh, I think uh, even young uh, American students uh, who, who really have no emotional or other connection to the war uh, need to see this side. Right, and so I, I think I will do that and uh, and see what the reaction is. Um, uh, we had uh, one twenty year old in our uh, March tr uh, group, so uh, somebody who was uh, by far much younger than 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 most of us. Uh, I think we had, you know, somebody in the thirties and one in the forties, and then the rest were all older. Um, but uh, he was also uh, quite um, affected by it, and and. Um, in our um, you know group discussion later on, had had very interesting things to say about it. Um, if I can just go back to your reconciliation uh, question, because it it just I don't want to have it slip my mind. But you know, if I talk about baby steps happening on the Vietnamese uh, communist or government side uh, in trying to reach out uh, to uh, uh, the former civil war opponents. Um, I see the, the uh, very similar um, dynamics, unfortunately, also in the um, Vietnamese-American uh, uh, diaspora, um, particularly among the older generation. I, you know, uh, I see the, the, a very similar hesitancy uh, to uh, reach out and to find some kind of an accommodation, which I, 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 it saddens me. Right, that um, that even uh, after so much time has uh, has passed by, um, the willingness, at least, of that um, a generation that was most uh, most directly involved in the civil war aspect of the Vietnam War, uh, that um, there is such a unwillingness and hesitancy to uh, to find more common ground. Um, As I understand it, it's not so much true of the younger generation. But as far as the older generation goes, part of that problems would be of any sort of reconciliation was would be to uh, for them to actually sort of look in the mirror. And many of these people were uh, I don't know how many, but a good number of them who came were actually representatives of civil servants and military people 
who were involved in corruption, some of them clearly, and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that reconciliation has to sort of. Uh, I mean, that was a major factor in the war: the corruption of the of mm -hmm. the. No, and, and I mean you're you're right. I mean reconciliation demands, of course, not only to reach out and at at least accept the former enemy, but it also demands listening to their stories and also, as you say, very importantly, uh, engage in self-reflection, right? And um, uh, that self-reflection, I don't really uh, see happening very much on either side, right? Ne neither among the ruling uh, party in Vietnam, which uh, bases a lot of it, its legitimacy on uh, the very heroically told tale of the uh, triumph of 1975 and oftentimes puts the Communist Party center stage, takes all the credit, even though it was a much broader coalition. Um, and neither do I see it um, really on on the side of at least the the older generation in the uh, diaspora. Um, so I don't think there's um, uh, I don't really have much hope for uh, uh, you know very meaningful steps forward in in that generation. But the younger generation, I think, are much more open minded. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a clear interest, rising interest in in younger Vietnamese Americans to uh, to encounter Vietnam, uh, to to see it for themselves, and to kind of break free from uh, the uh, you know generational demands of their elders. Um, and likewise, I think uh, younger Vietnamese um, in in Vietnam uh, are also uh, not as invested in the kind of triumphalist language of the communist party and uh, and they are uh, interested in their vietnamese counterparts from um, from around the globe yeah well um the triumphalist is a good lead into actually the book that i wrote which you wrote the introduction to uh, called mm -hmm. southern voices Viet Dong and the national liberation front and yeah. one of the points that i make and other other people do the uh, thomas Ahern, who was a cia uh, analyst makes that uh, the war was won by the time the tanks crashed through the gates to paraphrase what he's paraphrase what he said the war had been won 10 years earlier and that was because of the southern revolutionaries the national liberation front yeah. and i was uh, uh, kind of a privilege really to uh, uh, sort of stumble into this uh, going back 10 years ago and interviewing uh, eight of these sort of, of these uh, former soldiers yeah. And recently, I went back to Vietnam and um, brought copies of the book, uh, Southern Voices, back to the surviving members of the of the Viet Dong, the original eight. Two of them had died, including one who died while I was there. This, this was last January. Um, two were in the hospital, fairly sick. One was in a wheelchair, and one uh, was pretty shaky, uh, uh, um, um, woman, one of the women. Um, uh, so I, I was invited to speak at the Viet, uh, the Viet Dong committee, uh, their little uh, headquarters, I guess you'd call it. And so all of the uh, two of the two of the survivors that were there were the uh, Qua and and um, uh, Bikna, a woman. 
I had talked to, I later talked to, earlier went and visited Tu Kang, who was one of the old, old senior commanders. And then also Le Hong Kwan, I met, met earlier, and she was in, she was in sort of rough shape. But the, of the, there were a family who, of the survivors, including the people who were not able to come. And, uh, and it was kind of an interesting sort of thing, very kind of, a, in a way, sort of a very formal sort of thing, because uh, sort of back this up a, a way, but I am, I am somewhat of a minor rock star among certain circles in Vietnam, because I knew quite peripherally, actually, the uh, uh, Ba Den, who was one of the people who attacked the American embassy. And he is in Vietnam considered a national hero for, for good reason. Uh, you know, he was a, uh, one of the three people who survived the attack on the American embassy of the 13, 16 people who entered the blue hole and attacked the American embassy. So as I, as an interrogator who talked to Bob a couple of times, I was interesting talking to these uh, other Viet Dong in the committee that as they sort of um, stood up and praised me and gave me these speeches, you know, of course it was done in Vietnamese and my Vietnamese is pathetic, but, uh, Zung, who was one of the people who I've known for 10 years now, was there as a translator, and uh, they'd say something, and they'd say a speech, and then Zung and uh, jab me in the ribs, and say, well, stand up, stand up, so I'd, I'd stand up, and I'd have to say something back. It's sort of a, it's a kind of a formal sort of thing that I got used to after a bit, but uh, it happened, to, there were about a oh, half a dozen speeches, so by the time uh, the speeches were done I, I was probably repeating myself but it was it was a and a lot of pictures were taken and uh, they um, they were very generous in in uh, transportation with me I had was interviewed six times with on video um, and some some pretty nice presents I got a mother of pearl pen from one of the inter interviewees and a beautiful basket which I brought home to my wife. Uh, so anyway, it was a it was a good experience. And the the other thing it was, I talked to Mr. Bin, who was one of one of the people who was his father was a Viet Dong soldier, and uh, he is actually a fairly wealthy supporter of this group and and the Viet Dong in general. And he uh, wanted to actually get some more books and see if he could actually facilitate the distribution of books in Vietnam. I met another woman who I met in an earlier uh, uh, trip, uh, um, Suong, um, and she is a gallery owner, and she's quite quite elderly, but vi vigorous, and she is an author herself, and uh, uh, she got a Vietnamese Writers Association uh, uh, recommendation. So she offered to help, so help distri distri distribute the book in Vietnam. Which is sort of the uh, issue. There's Fansha, which is a major bookstore in Vietnam. It's about a dozen or so stores, but it's a matter of, of getting somebody to actually do this. Um, I, I what and maybe you could answer this. The the uh, I don't know exactly how many, at least in the United States, how how much academic interest there is, as in say professors or grad students, for that matter, teaching any courses in Southeast Asian history, particularly Vietnamese history, would use something like this because it's my understanding that there's not very much of this kind of material at all 
available either in Vietnam, really, or certainly in the United States. Yes. Um, well, first of all, congratulations on 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 your trip there and uh, for the conclusion of this absolutely fantastic project that you started um, almost, you know, by happenstance. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, back back in the days. 2013. Uh, 13 um, at the Saigon Post Office. But, uh, you know, also <clears throat> how meaningful for those that were still alive and you met in January that they could actually physically have the book in their hands and 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 see the conclusion to to that long journey. That is just uh, that must be extremely meaningful for you, and I applaud you for this. Is you know, yeah, they were overjoyed. Really. Yeah, and and you should be too. Um, no, Southern Voices was uh, actually a, 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 a really neat project that I was very happy to be marginally involved in as a forward writer, but. Uh, uh, to your question, um, and it's a very good question because um, I uh, I agree with uh, Thomas Ahern's uh, assessment there, right? That without the contributions of the Southern Revolutionary Movement, the National Liberation Front for Southern Vietnam, um, the outcome of the war is unthinkable, right? But the irony of how the Vietnam Wars are um, portrayed uh, by the kind of major players is that they all share an interest in not fully giving credit to the National Liberation Front. Right now, this is this is not my idea. I embrace it, but the originally uh, th that argument has been made by uh, Professor Moving Ngo Laum uh, at the University of Maine who uh, very sadly passed away um, about six months ago. Yeah. Um, and who was uh, really at the forefront of efforts, um, both in Vietnam, uh, among like-minded historians and, um, and here in the American Academy, to try to capture as much of uh, the NLF uh, experiences and contributions before these people die away, right, of old age. Um, and there is, of course, still considerable uh, resistance to that. And the resistance comes uh, surprisingly from all other quarters. Uh, so Moving Lama has long argued that there is a kind of a silent agreement between, say, Saigon, Hanoi, and Washington, D.C., not to fully recognize the NLF as a major contributor to the outcome of the war, um, precisely because they stood in the way to the American framing of the war as a conflict between an aggressive North Vietnam against a unified pro-Western South Vietnam. Um, they certainly stood in the way of a, a Republican uh, anti-communist uh, uh, frame of the war years as where uh, a unified South Vietnam was a victim of communist um, aggression and malfeasance. And, but they also stood in the way very clearly after 1975 in a Northern dominated Vietnamese Communist Party who did not want to share 
the credit for the outcome of 1975 with people that were not fully uh, in uh, in line uh, with their orthodox ideology, right? So, um, and there's very concrete evidence for that, right? I mean, the marginalization of the NLF uh, in unified Vietnam in the uh, at least fir- first 15 years or so uh, post uh, post war um, is uh, well documented and led to a lot of uh, um, you know bitterness uh, and acrimony among uh, surviving veterans of the NLF, yeah. um, and only by the 1990s did they actually gain a voice, and even that is still very much contested. Um, so they are, they are uh, they have maybe internal um, uh, you know communications. They have their little magazines. They have their um, associations uh, that you visited in Saigon too, right? The, um, and and their clubs and and associations. But um, they are they are oftentimes still stymied by the central government, who uh, is not particularly open to having a full-fledged discussion, all open discussion about the NLF um, in its uh, ideological breadth too, and its um, autonomy uh, actually from uh, the uh, Northern dominated uh, party. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, not to, not to deflate your, 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 you know, bubble there, but- uh, Oh no, I- I, not, I would not be surprised if an effort to have your book uh, wide, more widely distributed in Vietnam would eventually be stymied by central intervention, right? Because, yeah. uh, I mean, on the one hand, of course, it 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 helps illuminate right, the her- heroism of um, uh, people on the revolutionary nationalist side in the, in the war and their sacrifices. So that's certainly something that um, the government is not opposed to. Um, but on the other hand, they are they are always suspicious about um, uh, about efforts to uh, put the NLF kind of center stage or at least uh, at eye level with the northern efforts uh, in the in the war. These, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. But if you take a step back, right, and I've been teaching about the Vietnam War for twenty six seven years, um, if you take a step back. And look at the, the the war in its complexities over a, you know the a period of twenty five years or so. Um, it's very clear to me that um, the one deciding factor in the outcome of nineteen seventy five is that uh, the southern government in Saigon, the republic, was never able able to rally uh, many in the southern countryside, especially of the southern population to its side and that there was a deeply ingrained oftentimes generation already long established um, uh, revolutionary and especially xenophobic um, so anti-foreigner networks that uh, fought the French, fought the Japanese uh, fought the Chinese and uh, when the Americans came, uh, fighting the Americans was, uh, came naturally right and and um, that kind of ideologically not particularly well defined, other than maybe broadly revolutionary, but that s- deeply entrenched Southern movement of uh, uh, of anti foreign nationalism uh, 
uh, needs to be recognized as the, the deciding factor in the war. Because if it was really as the American narratives uh, wants us to believe, a conflict between you know, a North Vietnamese aggressor and a unified pro-Western South, uh, with uh, all the support that this supposed unified South received from the United States, an outcome like that would be would be inconceivable, right? And so that's why uh, all parties, in many ways, have an interest in not fully acknowledging the NLF. So that's number one. Yeah. Number two, if I may just continue this. Absolutely. Number two is that for historians and for people who are interested in uh, uh, kind of rescuing, right, or at least elevating our knowledge of the NLF is stymied uh, by, um, by two things. One is the old kind of propaganda smear that the NLF was simply an appendage of uh, the Communist Party in the North, right? That they had no autonomy, they had no agency, they were simply puppets of the Northern Communist in South Vietnam, right? And that, of course, is untenable. Uh, there's tons of evidence of its autonomy. And the most important point, of course, is that when the NLF is formed, um, you know, in 1959, 1960, uh, until 1964, for the first four or five years of its existence, its support from the northern zone of Vietnam was actually minimal, right? So against great odds, a fully militarized republic, American advisors, right? The latest gleaming weapons, uh, lots of US dollars against these great odds, this kind of almost ragtag Southern revolutionary movement was actually on the offensive, right? And by 1963 brought actually the Republic close to um, uh, combustion. Yeah. They had wrested about a third of the territory south of the DMZ um, uh, away from Republican control. Uh, and again, let me repeat, without very uh, significant uh, aid from the communist-ruled northern zone of Vietnam, right? So really on their own. And that that flies in the face, of course, of that smear uh, that the NLF was simply, we can dismiss them, we don't have to study them because they were all, anyway, they were just agents of, of the northern uh, party. Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just introductions. All the mm -hmm. people I talked to themselves could consider themselves almost to a person good communists they yeah. most of them were party members but uh, you're right they were they were southerners yes and you know and i'm i don't know if 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 that is uh true everywhere right i mean uh, i think the nlf is actually uh, uh ideologically much more amorphous than than simply uh party party people um uh so, you know that the the MO was obviously to have this broader coalition, um, patriotic appeals for a broader coalition, but of course led by communists. Um, but when I talk about, you know, this kind of generational long, uh, deep uh, um, roots in a Southern revolutionary resistance, uh, I think that that precedes the Communist Party and is also is oftentimes very unconcerned about ideology. Right, it is a patriotic 
anti-foreign sentiment uh, that that sprouted in the 20th century. But uh, just the second point I wanted to make about why it is so hard uh, in the academic field uh, to do work on the NLF is also that there is so little material. Right? So uh, when I when I look at the field of Vietnam studies, um, they were certainly among my generation uh, of grad students who came into our own in the late 80s and 90s, early 90s, um, that generation of us, we were particularly interested in uh, kind of a critical analysis of the revolutionary state and its pretensions and uh, its makeup and its, uh, its uh, you know, and to critical, critically analyze its history and maybe set some counterpoints. And, uh, you know, in the last five, seven, eight years, there's been really a turn in the field towards um, more a Republican focus, um, driven in large part by a new generation of mainly Vietnamese American academics who are now, um, because of familial uh, connections, uh, very much interested in the in the Republic, uh, albeit in a much less critical way that my generation was approaching the Democratic Republic. And I wish there was a little bit more criticality in that um, in that uh, scholarship on the republic, rather than this effort to rescue it and uh, um, and um, you know to uh, rescue also the generation of their elders. Um, but be that as it may, um, there is clearly a focus in the field on um, uh, an examination of the republic, uh, the doomed republic, right in 1975, but also on uh, the revolutionary state. But um, there is very little interest, but also very little material record, so to say, that would make a sustained interest in the NLF possible. Right? And that's that's something that I hope eventually some um, uh, some academics will pick up. Well, there was a, 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 a academic actually who did a lot of interviews in the Delta in the late '60s. But these were not actually, they were actually prisoners. Yes. Uh, this is the first time that, I mean, this, this is a, correct me if I'm wrong, that they're actually in a public, public, uh, publicly available narratives of people who were soldiers, Southern soldiers, um, that, that is widely available, certainly in the United States. Yeah, I mean, you know, the William, William Joyner Center in, in, in Massachusetts, I think they did a lot on these kind of uh, prisoner um, uh, prisoner records and the interviews and sometimes, of course, um, uh, you know, not not entirely voluntary interviews of, no. of revolutionary prisoners. Well, it's got um, a lot of problems associated with that sort of thing. As somebody who talked to, yeah. I knew I talked to probably dozens, maybe a hundred yeah. or so prisoners and chew boys yeah. and what have you. Yeah. And I uh, I knew what the Geneva Convention was. I didn't beat anybody up. But if they said something to me, and uh, I generally knew what they were talking about anyway after a while, yeah. uh, I, I wrote that down. And and uh, they, as you know, Vietnamese generally, but also sort of these prisoners, were, they all had a half a dozen uh, names. Right. So they could always... <laughs> I mean, they give you a story and use a name, and and it's right. difficult to actually backtrack that. And I mean, they're, they're, that plus the the 
the armed forces of, of Vietnam, the United States, and also our, our other allies were completely infiltrated by Vietnamese um, spies yeah. and, and double agents. Right. Uh, you know, completely. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, yes, I mean, it's, uh, but but again, I mean, just on this point, it's astounding, actually, uh, that, that big gaping hole of our knowledge about the NLF and a serious academic and intellectual engagement with them as as act as historical actors in their own right right and uh, that that disinterest is uh, is actually quite scandalous because um uh you know they had as much claim to the the title south vietnamese as those who were supporters of the republic uh, who were oftentimes in an urban milieu and oftentimes in a, in a, an upper middle class milieu in the urban core of uh, the republic in the southern half of vietnam uh, but uh, you know they were facing of course um, uh, a large number of uh, equally legitimately southern vietnamese who had very other plans who were not supporters of the republic who were not supporters of the american presence for sure um, and who might, you know, maybe have allegiance to Hanoi, but maybe they just had a, a broader patriotic um, a sense of, of duty to their fatherland. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's a gaping hole that uh, Moving Laum was really at the forefront uh, in the American Academy of, of trying to fill a little bit. Uh, he had counterparts in Vietnam, uh, Lake Angue and in, in Da Nang, for example, um, and uh, they were uh, trying to to really um, make a record of uh, NLF contributions to the to the war and uh, to um, uh, the way that the NLF um, had a kind of a mind of its own and uh, and uh, needed to be taken seriously. Um, so, uh, um, moving Lom's death is really a, um, a, a tragedy in, on these efforts. Well, you know, you may be right about uh, distribution in Vietnam, but however, this this 93-year-old gallery owner, she's a writer. She wrote a book, uh, uh, where is it? Uh, Ao Yai. Oh, um, yes, yes, of course. It's I in know. Yeah, that's available in English, actually. Oh, yes. And then uh, she wrote another recent book. It's reversed, of course, because it is, uh, um, it's, uh, yes. so, so her so name is so Gan Gan Gong Gong. Yes. And um, uh, she is, uh, she got a uh, um, writer's organization, a writer's guild uh, 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 prize for this book. Oh, good. But she said, she says, she, she said, she said she was very dismissive of the Fanshan bookstore. She said they don't, they don't, they're not going to do this. But she says Vietnamese people want to read this book. Yes, she's I an old timer. Agree. She's an old timer, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, this, this Mr. Bin, who is actually a fairly substantial, very well heeled guy, who was uh, uh, his father was a Vietnam. He's very enthusiastic about it, and and. Uh, I, I was interviewed six times on on tape and on on by by people who were, you know, perhaps more interested in me than than uh, some of the other stuff. But um, 
um, it was kind of interesting. One of the things that was interesting, what came up again and again, he says, well, how did you feel when you talked to Bud? And I said, well, that was 55 years ago. I saw him for maybe, I've seen him a total of maybe two hours. And, yeah. you know, he was just another prisoner. <laughs> yeah. But that was an interesting story. They wanted to know yeah. how I felt. Um, I couldn't give them a lot of, uh, I think, satisfaction to that point, but um, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I what I what I what I so love about this this whole project of yours is, you know, how your personal experiences are intermingled with this um, with this project of of bringing the voices of the Vietnam to 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 light and into print and. Um, you know this this kind of biographical arc uh, that you have uh, built from 1968 to to when it was published last year and um but so i hope i hope it will have a large readership um, not only in the united states but also in vietnam um uh, i i just wanted to to just say you know just be prepared that there might be some roadblocks oh, yeah. in other distribution there well, I brought um, back 19 books. Yeah, but I also want to comment you for, uh, you know, for uh, really insisting on a publication in both languages, right? Vietnamese and English side by side. Um, I, th I think that that uh, is is a wonderful gesture um, uh, towards the Viet Dome, and uh, I'm sure that that went uh, with with big recognition. I have, have to give some credit to the University of Kentucky Press despite some or a foot dragging and some going back and forth on it yeah. because they've never published a book like this uh, yeah. you know, it's an academic press yeah. and uh, uh, they've published a book uh, uh, another book of us someone who wrote a book about uh, yeah, uh, some, uh, some of the Vietnamese uh, uh, a book about what's including some Vietnamese uh, actors mm -hmm. but uh, so it's it's actually to their credit, and I don't know how what their distribution is. I think I probably sold maybe three three hundred and four hundred books, something like that, which is mm -hmm. not too bad for an academic press. And uh, as people may know or not, the Christoph interviewed me, or we talked together at the University of Washington Bookstore last uh, summer, mm -hmm. in uh, and was it's available on YouTube uh, and Amazon. So. Um, um, Hopefully that'll that'll have some wider. I also went and had a, a very nice uh, um, book reading at Elliott Bay Books. So the two of the books, Booker oh, bookstores in, in Seattle yeah. were quite accommodating to it. Yeah. Um, no, and I mean, as I said in my foreword, I mean, it's it's full of little gems, right? I mean, uh, uh, not only in in the larger sense of you know giving a voice to NLF, um, uh, you know, uh, Rangers. Um, and to to put them in their own right, right, and with their own agency and uh, their heroism and sacrifice. Uh, but you know also that um, you know many of them were females. Uh, yeah. is is an amazing insight uh, uh, that that will uh, certainly uh, illuminate a a part of the war that is not not well known. And right? so. Um, uh, so I I really enjoyed uh, reading the interviews when when I got my hands on them uh, in preparation for the foreword and I was really uh, drawn in and I couldn't uh, put it down right until I had read everything.
yeah, they're very compelling. And, and as a, as a uh, an editor, as, as my rule, I, I tried not to be getting away of what they said. I, you know, sometimes the language is a little stilted, but yeah. Bill Turley commented on and says, well, you know, they are some of the communists. <laughs> some of them talk, you know, so, uh, so they wanted to be in their words, not me. I, I was, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a facilitator, really. Right. And we are all children of our contexts. Yeah. Right? Um, I don't think that, um, uh, I don't believe for a second, actually, that your, your, uh, counterparts were mouthing off things that where they expected the authorities to to find acceptable right i think they spoke from their heart too but they speak in the yes. language that is prevailing in 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 contemporary vietnam when people talk about the war right uh and uh you know just like we and uh, on the American side or the, or the Vietnamese diasporic side uh, also have our conventions of talking about the war, right? And uh, uh, um, that deserves maybe critical analysis, but it's it's also the way that, that people have come to think about things and talk about things. Um, so, which brings me back to My Lai. Um, uh, you know, when I was there, I was actually quite surprised of... Um, uh, there, there was a, a. I had a sense that things were quite muted, actually, at Milai. And <clears throat> I looked at actually at, at uh, I, I googled older photos of the Milai Memorial and saw that you know in the early two thousands or so, the language was actually much more strident. So denunciations of American imperialism and and all that. But um, what I found now is actually there's actually all this, all these um, indications of a more ideological uh, bend and a more, uh, uh, you know, emotionally uh, kind of um, accusatory bend have been removed from the from the memorial. Right, it's a little bit tucked away uh, on the side of the the road. There's development around it. Uh, you know, new buildings are rising. Shops are there. It's a busy street, and then there's this little memorial. And the only the only uh, uh, people that are named actually as being involved in the massacre are called American soldiers, right? And their commanders. Yeah. So it's not a larger denunciation of imperialism or whatever you want to call it. And I think it 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 fits into this larger picture that contemporary Vietnam. Is uh, is perhaps moving uh, uh, forward uh, towards you know uh, uh, away from kind of building uh, on on the war years and just looking forward. There's so much tourism. Uh, there's so much international connections now. Investments, right? I mean, very nearby, but half an hour away is a huge industrial park. Uh, in northern Guanghai province, um, uh, I think that this this is the direction that Vietnam is taking right now, and uh, they want to honor the memory, of course, of the past, but they are not putting it center stage, and they're not using it so much anymore as a kind of, uh, you know, uh, ideological bat or so. Yeah, um, 
that became well, very yeah well you know i i when i brought brought the book back for its final review by the, the people who talked to me some yeah. of the some of the participants had taken out some of the things that they'd originally said because of sort of this um they didn't want to get into any hot water with yeah. the with the powers that be yeah but, you know on, on the other hand um, when i did the project i was told says there's not going to be anybody telling you what to do and that was true of the project mm -hmm. generally yeah. So we're going to have to probably wrap this up for our time restraints on this thing. But uh, yeah. thank you, Christoph, for uh, your professorial uh, exposition. Very, very, very good. And Yeah, no, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Mike. We'll, we'll uh, talk to you again, perhaps. Thanks, Christopher. Happy. Anytime.